Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Now, I'm telling you the days of the week now because um, I'm concerned that those listening on podcast will need to know that this is an episode from the 5th of November uh, because we still do not know who the president of the United States will be on January the 21st, 2021. So this is the 2020 election cycle now, election season, as opposed to the election day here in the United States. Um Democrats went into Election Day certainly hoping that they would not only uh, have the White House via the election of Joe Biden, but also majorities in both chambers of Congress. Uh, They were hoping that there would be a blue wave, a Democratic sweep, and that a Democratic victory would demonstrate something like an unmistakable repudiation of President Trump and, uh, and the Republicans who have aligned themselves with him along the way. So, Uh, It has clearly not worked out that way. And although we do not yet have a final outcome in terms of the presidential election, it is quite clear there was no clear Democratic wave. There was also no clear Republican wave. Um, So Republicans have held key Senate seats. That is going to be a, a part of the ongoing conversation Because if, in fact, Joe Biden prevails in the election uh, to become the next president of the United States, his ability to enact a any sort of comprehensive agenda is going to be hobbled by a Republican-dominated Senate. So it's important that Republicans have held key Senate seats um, that the Democrats had hoped to flip. And it's also important that um, it looks like the GOP, the Republican Party, may ultimately shrink the Democrats' House majority. And so some of the designs that Nancy Pelosi had uh, in terms of an agenda in the House of Representatives will also be at least, uh, well, I don't know, slowed down maybe is the best word. Um, the Democrats will still obviously have clear control of the House. But I'm kind of excited about the 20 Republican women who are headed to the House of Representatives. Uh, it's a record number of pro-life women in the House. And I just think that when they stand and they speak and they vote in the people's House, um, they are going to be, you know, women to watch. And so kind of excited about that. Um, we're going to have an ongoing conversation this morning about the 2020 election process. We dare not call it a day because it wasn't. It's now a process. And that process still unfolds. So Ben Johnson and I are going to have that conversation here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Right. 
right, joining me now, the rights writer, Ben Johnson. You can find him at the Acton Institute. You can also find him at the rights writer. That's his handle on Twitter. Ben Johnson, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. It's election season. It's it's not just, just a day anymore. It's, I know. It's, it's, it's not just season, a day anymore. Like Christmas. <laughs> I don't know if it's like Christmas at all. Okay, so in this moment, with projected victories in Wisconsin and Michigan, Joe Biden has 264 electoral votes. Um, I think that means that he only needs one of the remaining states to go his way um, to be the next president of the United States. President Trump currently has 214 electoral votes. And so in order to reach 270, he would need to claim all four of the remaining battleground states, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, and Nevada. I'm just setting that out there and um, um, inviting you to muse. Yeah, I I think you're right. That's exactly the way the electoral map lays out. Donald Trump, if he's going to be uh, uh, re-elected to a second term, is going to need to run the table. Uh, And I think he probably will prevail in Georgia. In fact, Joe Biden has said he expected as much. I think ultimately North Carolina looks good for him. Uh, Pennsylvania, obviously, depends very much on what's what vote is still out there. Uh, I think that probably when those votes are counted, it's going to be very evenly divided. If the vote is uh, is uh, a mail in ballot or an absentee ballot, as it's expected, that heavily favors Biden. There may be enough out to tip it. But uh, then even if Donald Trump were to win all three of those, he needs something else, Nevada, or he needs an overturn in some other state, uh, possibly Arizona, in order to prevail. Uh, so it's it's still very much anyone's election. You were talking about uh, in the last segment about gridlock. You know, gridlock is the highest form of socialism. If you're in a deeply divided country and everyone deserves a voice in that country, then ultimately the state, when it's involved in everything in an evenly split country, that means the representatives can't agree on anything. So the more that we politicize things, the less the government can get done. So that's interesting because I would I would have um, I would have believed the headlines, the the economic headlines, which say that um, the markets, both here in the United States and globally, have responded positively to the fact that it looks like there will still be a divided government in the United States and that somehow that gridlock means that there's a level of comfort for uh, for those who are sort of in the investor class. And so you're, what you're saying is really an interesting uh, look at gridlock, which is to say it just paralyzes us from being able to do anything, and that's actually not the best form of uh, of a democratic republic. Uh, and the reason the investors are so happy is because it freezes in the status quo, which includes the yeah. Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So, yeah, it, it's very good for them, but not necessarily if we need to make a, a major step forward. I would I would add one small note of caution, which is we had a very similar situation in 2000. We didn't account for what happened on September 11th, 2001. So massive events can radically transform the government's ability to move forward. Yeah, that's a... A very important note. Let's talk about um, the Electoral College versus the popular vote. It does look a little bit different this time around than it has looked um, in, in, I mean, if the Democrats win because of the Electoral College, I expect them to be squawking less about how much they hate the Electoral College. One would presume. I think we'll hear less about this, but it's uh, in every four years right in our country that someone's going to say, 
we need to abolish the Electoral College. And then typically it's forgotten, but in the run-up uh, over the last four years, in the run-up to this election, uh, it has very much become part of the talking points of the Democratic Party as a whole because, and, and it's understandable, uh, the Democratic Party has generally prevailed in the popular vote going all the way back to 2000 with the exception of 2004 and, uh, and possibly this year, depending on total outcome. But I think uh, it will probably have a, a slight uh, uh, favor if Biden is the winner. He will slightly prevail in the uh, popular vote as well. But when you have these sorts of divisions, there's always a call. We need to make sure that the person who gets the most votes is the winner. Uh, I've written an article about this several years ago, and, and it's one of the things I've written that I think actually stands the test of time. It's currently available on theblaze.com. Uh, it was written for Conservative Review, and uh, it, it simply talks about the prophetic genius of our founding fathers when they set up the Electoral College. The idea was that we're all Americans, but we're different kinds of Americans. A farmer and I was much different than someone in New York City or Los Angeles, and everyone deserves to have their voice and their unique regional sensibilities represented in this national government of, by, and for all of the people. And so it assures that there's greater federalism, greater uh, locality, uh, a greater representative of local interests, and that no simple majority can overrun the will of the minority. So uh, it's, it's an act of prophetic genius that we have this, that it requires everyone to buy into the system. And that if someone prevails, even by just a, a small percentage in the popular vote, but that popular vote is localized in one area, does that person really represent the whole country? Uh, one, of the, one of the statistics that's in there, and I always repeat this, is that uh, George Will found it back in the 1970s or 80s. Someone could win every registered vote in Alaska, lose every other state by a, a six-figure margin, and still become president of the United States under the popular vote. So someone has to represent all of the people. Popular vote doesn't assure that electoral college does. Um, all right, Ben, we have a um, we have a question from a listener about uh, our confidence in uh, in the security of the election, particularly in the counting of mail in or absentee ballots, um, because those are those processes are different in every state. It's a little bit hard for us to answer the question. Um, you know, just in terms of like, hey, we can say this about all 50 states. I am very aware that in my state there are people watching the count um, and those people represent both campaigns. And I assume that that is true in every state. So this this uh, person is concerned that, you know, uh, ballots are just dumped in the garbage if they don't meet the processor's uh, you know view of the outcome of the election. That is not happening. I think we can assure people that is not happening. We have a free and fair election here in the United States, and the way that ballots are processed is a not only um, a really strict process, it's watched. It's physically watched by people from both sides of the aisle. And that's probably the, the greatest law that we have to assure that we have a legitimate outcome is the fact that you have poll watchers when the votes are cast, and then you have people who watch as the votes are counted. Uh, it doesn't inspire confidence, for example, in uh, in Michigan, in uh, the Detroit area, where they were boarding up the windows so that people couldn't watch anyone who was counting the votes. Uh, that sort of thing uh, rightly inspires some people to question what's happening behind those closed doors. So uh, greater transparency, greater sunshine is the, the disinfectant uh, that we need in our democracy. And people need to see what's happening when these votes are counted and what's happening. Uh, there have been... Uh, allegations and questions about voter fraud for a very long time. 
Uh, and, uh, for example, uh, the PILF, a wonderful uh, nonprofit organization, has exposed those instances that it has found. They obviously need to be prosecuted, but uh, overall, we have a, a system, for the most part, in most places in the country that is incredibly dependable, incredibly reliable. It's just a question of finding out what the electorate is saying in a very evenly, closely divided purple country. All right. Ben Johnson and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We're going to um, talk about uh, some ballot measures related to life. I know you all will be interested in that. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Now Continuing my conversation with Ben Johnson, uh, you can find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. You can also find him on Twitter at The Rights Writer. Um, ben, let's talk about uh, a couple of ballot measures, one in Colorado, one in Louisiana. I'll just uh, brief people in. Um, in Colorado, the voters, the majority of voters in Colorado struck down a proposal that would have limited abortion after 22 weeks Colorado is one of just seven states that has no gestational limit on abortion, um, which means that in Colorado uh, you can get a, an abortion at any stage of pregnancy, and the voters of Colorado upheld that as the standard for that state. Um, to the contrary, the people of Louisiana have amended their state's constitution to actually protect the life of the unborn in the event that Roe v. Wade is overturned, and their amendment now reads, To protect human life, nothing in this Constitution shall be construed to secure or protect a right to abortion or require the funding of abortion. Ben, um, I just think this demonstrates how very, very different uh, the approach is to this life conversation across the country. It really does. We're a patchwork nation where different uh, states and localities have radically different ideas of what should be appropriate. And uh, the Supreme Court in 1973 in Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolden nationalized a regime where uh, it was recognized as a constitutional right, uh, which had not been found or thought of in the minds of the founding fathers or the text of the Constitution. And yet, uh, it, because of that, it's frozen and polarized our, our national discourse for longer than my entire life. Uh, this has been going on for a very, very long time. And uh, so if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned, what would simply happen is it would return to the states. And what this shows is that you would have a variety of approaches to it. Louisiana Amendment 1 is is saying that not uh, it doesn't take any action. However, it simply reinforces the legal framework. If Roe v. Wade is overturned and if uh, Louisiana were to enact certain pro-life protections, whatever they may be, uh, then it says that there is no right under the state constitution for someone like NARAL or, or the National Abortion uh, National Abortion Coalition, other organizations to sue and say that there is ACLU would have the ability to sue and say that the state constitution guarantees that. Uh, once the U.S. Supreme Court says that the U.S. Constitution doesn't guarantee it, then the state wouldn't have any legal support for abortion either. Colorado, on the other hand, as you pointed out, one of seven states where there's no limit on abortion, even up to the moment of birth, and from 22 weeks forward, we're talking very, very much uh, second half of, of the pregnancy. It's a late-term abortion. The primary procedure that is used after that point is what's known as D&E or dilation and extraction abortion, which is a fancy term for dismemberment. Uh, I was privileged to meet Dr. Anthony Levitino and to hear him speak about his experience performing more than 1,100 D&E abortions. 
He described the procedure in striking detail when he was in front of Congress a few years ago. Uh, anyone who, uh, who wishes to have their heart broken should Google his testimony and listen to him explain or Google the live action YouTube video, which was suppressed by YouTube, and have him uh, explain in just a few moments exactly what happens. And this heartbreaking procedure, which uh, has apparently not elicited the sympathies of enough voters in Colorado. Um, ben, uh, we could have the uh, the right to die conversation spotlighting New Zealand, but I think we'll stick here, um, stick with what's going on here in the United States for just a minute. And I want to talk about um, one more right. Since you're the rights writer, I feel like you're my guy. Um, can we talk about the the freedom of assembly, the right I have to freely assemble, um, the right I have to protest, freedom of protest, and and then have that in the context of these like armed militia style groups on the streets of America and frankly, the right of everybody else um, to pursue happiness, because I feel like those are rights that are in conflict today. They very much are. Uh, as you're talking about, we have organizations uh, both on the right and on the left, which are heavily armed, uh, which are going through streets. And in some cases, um, it bleeds over into violence. We saw that, uh, for example, in the Chop Chaz zone, where armed militias were the only law that was uh, being uh, 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 that was organized in that area. Uh, whenever there is uh, the government's primary, uh, the government's primary use is to assure order. That's what we hear about in Romans 13, that uh, the servant uh, does not bear the sword in vain, but he's supposed to create order. When the government fails to do that, people naturally protect themselves through voluntary associations like militias, and everyone is armed, everyone protects himself or herself and their organizations, their areas. And quite often it's those militias that end up fighting with one another. So there's an all-black group uh, known as the NFAC. It stands for something I can't say on radio, but uh, they march wherever there's been uh, you know, public demonstrations uh, against police brutality. On the other hand, you have uh, quite often racist white militias or uh, so-called patriot groups that are forming People have a First Amendment right to freedom of speech. They have a right to freedom of assembly, a right to redress the government for grievances. They have a Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms, according to DCV Heller. And depending on what precedent you're following, they have either a First or Fourteenth Amendment right to freedom of association. So all of that is, is asked the question, what's the difference between a well-armed private organization and a terrorist group? And the difference is intent. There's no bright red line that you can easily see from outside, which means that state and federal police forces will and do infiltrate these groups in order to determine that intent. Sometimes federal agents will entrap unstable members into committing violence. And if you are organizing one of these groups and you have a member who's unstable, you don't always know until they burst out into violence using the training with which you have equipped them. So if you want to avoid interactions with the police, don't march around in public with semi-automatic weapons. That seems like good advice, right? Seems, seems fairly seems fairly mm -hmm. simple. Yeah, I mean, I, I I definitely recognize that there are people who are now at the stage where they, um, they are imagining that if Biden actually does become president, you know, all of a sudden the next day people are going to be quote unquote coming to take your guns. That is not going to happen. We don't actually live in that country. Whatever country you imagine that is in your wildest nightmares. That's not this country. And so, um, you know, might there be conversations about the 
restriction to brandish semi-automatic or fully automatic weapons in public in the streets of America in order that I can frankly pursue my own happiness um, without fear of you, whether you be on the far right or the far left. I mean, is that fair? Right. And, and fully automatic weapons are illegal. So that's that's not going to happen. But the idea of, uh, of public display is, is very much uh, already a, a public discussion. In many states, it's a question of open carry versus concealed carry and whether you need a license or whether they have what's called constitutional carry that under the Second Amendment, you have the right to to carry a weapon on your person. And if so, what's what's the right to march around and brandish it? My my concern, you know, I, I grew up with a lot of Lebanese Christians, and when you have highly armed groups that uh, in a country where people no longer trust one another, uh, and everyone is falling back into some other identity, whether it's religious or racial or whatever it may be, as this country is clearly balkanizing, ultimately you end up with a civil war-like situation, like in Lebanon, if this isn't tapped down. I was very uh, encouraged by some of the remarks that I've heard. Uh, talking about bringing America together. We've heard this rhetoric for a long time. We need policies that actually tell us we're all one America. We all gather around one flag and one constitution, and we respect one another's rights to agree to disagree. Otherwise, in this country that is so clearly closely divided, you're going to have people who fall back into the idea that they need to protect themselves and others, and ultimately they may lead to open physical antagonism against other members of society. Amen and amen and amen. All right. Thank you, my brother. Uh, we'll talk again soon. That is Ben Johnson. You can find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. He has some really great stuff posted there right now and some cool stuff forthcoming. Um, we talk with him every week here on Thursday mornings. Um, thank you for joining us again today, Ben. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. God bless. Likewise. We'll be right back. What time is it? What time is it? It's time to pray. And who better to have a conversation about praying today than Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. So Pray Cat is going to be here in just a moment. We're going to talk about praying peace, praying healing. We're going to talk about preparations for prayer as we approach Veterans Day and Thanksgiving. I may even ask her, what does it look like to pray in advance? Like, what does it... So, because in Revelation, it says that the prayers of God's people are actually like stored up in bowls and they're going to be poured out. That means that those prayers have been prayed in advance for things yet to come, yet to happen. Um, and so I, I might I might ask her a question about praying in advance. All right. All that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. With 6.1 trillion texts sent over the past year, our teens know how to communicate. But still... Our teens are desperate for something more. Hi, I'm Mark Brigston with Parenting Today's Teens. Our teens are desperate for connection. The need for relationships, for community, for a place of belonging drives our teens. But since they haven't learned to make connections other than the internet or text messages, they go to extremes to bond with others. Your teen needs to be taught what it means to connect. Don't take the extreme approach by banning cell phones and Facebook. Instead, take a night to shut off all screens and connect with your family. Show your teenager that relationships aren't formed by texting on a phone. Look them in the eye and connect. Want to bring Mark to your church or community? Find out how to request an event in your area when you visit parentingtodaysteens.org.
Joining me again today, Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. And you're saying to yourselves, hey, didn't we just hear from Kathy recently? <laughs> yes, but I, I, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need some prayer and we need some uh, prayer guidance and encouragement. And there's nobody better uh, than Kathy Branzell. So, Kathy, welcome back. Oh, good to be back. Thanks so much. Absolutely. So um, I have asked what time it is, and I have answered my own question by saying it is time to pray. Absolutely. Time to pray. And just uh, go go back to this abiding in faith, hope, and love. So uh, we, we remember where we abide and where our hope comes from and who our faith is in. And then we pray. So uh, we're, we're good. You may not feel that way right now, but I promise you, we are just as good, um, just as held together, just as secure. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. We are just as good as we were on Monday um, before the election today. Um, you know, God's got the whole world in his hands. Jesus is the, the laminin, I think is the word in Colossians, right? The one who, mm-hmm. in whom all things hold together. Like, it, this is not falling apart. Things are not falling apart. Right. I, it isn't, and I'm speaking now to people who voted in either direction uh, right. for either candidate yeah. at the top of the ticket, right? Because there is a, right. um, there there is a nail, there's a nail biter crowd out there and there should not be Christians in the nail biter crowd. Like that, no. that should not be our posture. No, no. And, and so I, you know, I would just say any, anything that you um, expected, any, any hope or outcome uh, that you thought you would only get in an election, just stop and, and confess that, repent of that. Now, it, absolutely, we vote. Absolutely. We talked about this last week. It's a responsibility and it's a right. And thank you, Jesus, for that. But again and again and again, uh, we have to do all that we can to act in love. There's no, I've searched, I've searched, I've searched. There's no loopholes and there's no exceptions in what God desires and requires of us. (laughs) He doesn't say, except when you're disappointed, except when things aren't going the way you think they should. Um, And so in that, we've got to keep acting in love and be part of the peace and the healing and the good and righteousness of America um, no matter how things turn out in an election, you just do what you ought and leave the rest to him. Yeah, see, this is why I wanted to talk to you today, because I, I anticipated that we were going to be in this period of waiting. Nobody likes yep. to wait, yep. um, that we would have lost patience with the process in some cases, and we certainly would have lost patience with one another. Um, here, I'll just mm-hmm. ask for some uh, some personal guidance as I head into a weekend retreat with some um, some other Christian uh, women from across the country. Nice. It's going to be small because of COVID, right? But yeah, I give mm-hmm. this self, I give this to myself as a gift every year. Three days just away off the grid, just to be in a wow. time of prayer and encouragement with other women in Christian leadership or Christian women. I don't know, something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, it occurred to me in my own prayer time last night as I was praying over these women and their names and their situations and the things that I do know about them, like preparing my heart to you know, be the right kind of, of vessel in these relationships with these other women. It, it, I had this like, it suddenly occurred to me, like, there are probably going to be women in this group, uh, very likely, who did not vote as I voted. And so there will be over this weekend, some people who will be happy about the outcome of the U.S. presidential election and others who will not be happy, regardless of, of the outcome. And it's probably going to happen while we're all together. 
And so um, I, I just realized, Kathy, that like I have to prepare myself for that. I have to prepare myself for uh, being in the company of of other Christians with whom I share eternity and with whom I share ministry here right now in the context right. of this country and this world, and yet with whom I may share a different view of the outcome of the election. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and, and so it's important for us to remember, especially within the body of Christ, that who we believe in, what we believe, um, the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, um, out trumps, and I, I didn't mean the pun, but it, it it's it's far over and above in importance anything else uh, that's in our life. I mean, I'll, I'll take it down to creamy peanut butter or chunky peanut butter. I mean, that mm. can divide a house right there. Amish, and, fresh oh, Amish, fresh wait. Amish peanut butter that is blended oh, with honey. Some of that in the mail for me that's just down it. here. Yeah, these women, yeah, but, those but, are the those. That's the peanut yeah. butter I want. There you go. But seriously, our righteousness, I, I, I mean, I love, 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 love Franklin Graham. But even if Franklin Graham was in the White House, our righteousness is not going to come from our government. Our righteousness as the body of Christ is supposed to overflow into the seven mountains of influence here in the United States and more. And um, I, just this morning, uh, God took me to Galatians 5, 5. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. So it's in the Spirit that we await and that we abide in faith because faithfulness is a fruit. It's, uh, it, it's the work of the Spirit in us as we submit. So I submit all of my feelings, all of my angst, all of my anger, all of my whatever— about an election, about a disagreement in a family, whatever it is, you have to submit that and surrender that to the Spirit so that that faithfulness, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things we want to walk through life in, that, that um, we embody that and it overflows out of us in all situations because we're eagerly awaiting God's righteousness and he is using us in those situations to be that righteousness. And I wrote myself a post-it note that said, Kathy, what if God has decided to bring forth his glory and righteousness through his elect, not an election? Hmm. Say that one more time. What if God has decided to bring forth his glory and righteousness through his elect, not an election? Well, and he has. Like, we That's know exactly. that. Yes. It was like, knock, knock, who's there? Uh, remember this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I have to write these notes to myself. That's a reminder of truth. That's a reminder. Go back to the foundation um, and and remember what I'm hoping for um, and then connect it with what God requires of me and what he's already supplied, multiplied and decided and and what he's requiring of me is to act in love. It's just that simple. And my tone and um, is what I'm saying true or is it an opinion? But 
uh, we've really, this is a Psalm 37, 8 moment. And I apologize if I said it last week, but this is just truth. Psalm 37, 8, we've got to cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret because it only leads to evil doing. And I'm having to ask myself on a moment by moment basis, am I contributing to the healing of this country or am I contributing to more hurt and evil in this country? I'm talking to Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. We're talking about um, what time it is, and it is time to pray. And so we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about planning to pray in the lead up to Veterans Day and Thanksgiving. And then I'm going to ask Kathy uh, a question about praying in advance. It's a question that grows out of my uh, my own study of Revelation 5.8. And I thought, hey, I got Kathy on the line. I'm going to ask her. We'll be right back. We make a miracle walk, a promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Continuing my conversation with Kathy Brenzel. Kathy, let's talk about um, planning to pray in the lead up to both Veterans Day and Thanksgiving. Give us some uh, give us some thoughts on planning to pray. Hmm, thanks. Yeah, as I was a military brat, a military wife, so Veterans Day is uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, I think, well, now I know that you really don't understand the sacrifices that a military family makes and a military member makes um, in order to defend the freedoms, in order to defend even our rights to go and vote, to live in a country that gets to behave the way we're behaving. Um, and to go, yeah, you have the right to do that. And so with that, military people defend freedom around the world um, at the sacrifice of their families, their marriages, uh, watching their children grow up, uh, getting to choose where they want to live. I was just pondering that the other day with someone who's going to be a new military wife. And so plan to pray uh, one of the, the greatest ways is to think about things, calendar holidays that are culturally relevant. Um, you can find something to pray about every minute of every day. But I would just ask you to begin now. Uh, one of the greatest ways to get your anxiety of the election um, out of your mind for a little while is to think on something else. Uh, think on the things that are pure, the whatevers. Um, go to those verses, um, but focus. So plan to pray for your military members, for their families, over their marriages, to keep them safe, that God would provide, and but that faith, that their love in Jesus would bind together, that their marriage would be a strand of three cords. And, um, you know, I would just say, if you just don't know what to pray, pray about what you pray for yourself, for your own family, your own children, and then pray that over someone else. Uh, that's kind of the love, um, loving others as you love yourself. Well, pray for others as you pray for yourself. Um, but thank you to all our military members out there, past and present, who have sacrificed so, so much. Um, and Thanksgiving, that's every day. That's every mm. day. But I would say in the event of Thanksgiving, be prepared to reinvite people to the table that maybe you kicked out of the house. Uh, in this divisive uh, decade um, where we've disagreed on so many things and unfriended so many people and uninvited people 
family members to holidays because they didn't vote like we do. They didn't think like we do. It's time for healing. And the only way healing comes is if at least one person humbles themselves and says, you're more valuable to me than an election. You're more valuable to me than an opinion. And, and we can think differently and still love one another. We can vote differently and still have a meal together because we have much to be thankful for and we can agree on thankfulness. And so as you're preparing in prayer for those things, think about someone or somewhere that you need to humble yourself Ask the Spirit to enable you to do that, giving thanks. Uh, Keep a running list of what you're thankful for. I'm thankful to be breathing this morning. I'm thankful to hear a school bus beeping outside my house right now and that we live in a country where children get to go to school instead of being put to work at a young age. I'm thankful for education. You could do this all day long. I would encourage you to right now. If you're distraught or anxious, Just start being thankful and pray your way into the Thanksgiving holiday, um, doing something that shows your thankfulness back to God. And that that active part, I think, Kathy, um, is also uh, it's it's very positive in terms of my the way I view life and my day and what's happening around me. So it's the activated giving that sort of follows the prayer of thanksgiving. So I'm going to I'm going to acknowledge before the Lord in my prayers all of these realities for which I am thankful. First and foremost, the reality of who God is, the knowledge of him, the uh, the very opportunity to pray at all. I mean, it is only because of Christ that the veil is 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 ripped in two from top to bottom, and I can enter into the very presence of the Holy God by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the blood of Jesus. I mean, on and on and on. My Thanksgiving prayers uh, grow out of all of that. Right. But then I turn in, in and I behave in ways that allow um, the overflow of that gratitude into the lives of others, right? So Thanksgiving becomes about giving. It, it's yes. It's tangible. It's activated. It's not... Uh, I don't want to say just prayer because that's not the way I want to frame this. But it, um, in addition to right. prayers of thanksgiving, there is this thanks living. There is this way yes. of giving to others out of a heart of gratitude that actually yes. changes the way not only I see the world, but other people live in it. That's awesome. Absolutely. From the overflow of the heart, mm. you know, the mouth speaks, and I would say, and the hands give. Okay, so I have a um, a Revelation five eight question for you. Okay, so this is about praying in advance. So Revelation five eight says each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, mm-hmm. which are the prayers of God's people. Now that suggests to me that the prayers of God's people were prayed in advance and are stored up in bowls. Can you talk a little bit about praying in advance? Yeah. So understand, <laughs> there's no expiration date on our prayers, just like there's no expiration date on our faith. It's always and forever. I love that, that our prayers go up as a sweet fragrance, it says in Scripture, um, that it's a sweet fragrance before the Lord's nostrils. 
I often wonder um, what kind of stink or smell or or scent I bring into the throne room of heaven sometimes and and have to readjust my attitude so that I am a sweet fragrance, that incense in that bowl. But knowing that um, there are so many people who, when they come to the Lord, they'll say, my grandmother prayed me to the Lord, but she, you know, had passed into heaven 20, 30 years earlier. Um, And so our prayers don't have an expiration date. Remember that. So pray and keep praying, keep filling up those bowls, um, knowing that God's time and and working through the free will he's given us because he doesn't make us he just allows us he just invites us um but keep praying because history really does belong to the intercessor amen i love you i love you i love love that you are praying for the nation i love that you are praying for individuals and concerns and uh, thank you so much for joining us today. That is Kathy Branzell. You can find her at the National Day of Prayer Task Force. You can also find her on Twitter at PrayCat, and Cat is a K. Thank you, thank you, thank you, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Thankful for you. Likewise. We'll be right back. Okay, I want to remind us that we are... God's elect. I mean, if you are in a relationship with God restored through the person of Jesus Christ uh, by faith, in whom the Holy Spirit is living and active, bringing you into ever greater conformity with the image of Christ and the will of God, then you can trust that you are a member of the elect. Like, that's uh, that's how you know. Um, And it is God's intent that his will would be activated through the elect, regardless, regardless of political elections. So let's be mindful of that. I think that was a good reminder by Kathy Branzell. Um, God intends to work out his glory and his will through the elect, through you and I, the people of God loosed in the world that he so loves to be ambassadors of the king and the kingdom. That's who we are. That's how we shall live. Let us be uh, faithful to him in this day as we represent Christ to the world. And let's make sure we do so in ways that Jesus himself would recognize. All right, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up up next. I've got uh, Peter Kapsner, and then I have got Rachel Joy Welcher. We're going to talk about talking back to purity culture. That'll be interesting. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.